Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi. Thank you for joining me today for another episode. Today is another topic that can be such a huge struggle for so many of us, which is what to do with our children's things. Some of you lost younger children, and you have everything of theirs, an entire bedroom and things throughout the house, and I know you want it to stay exactly the same, the way he or she left it all. People around you probably think something is wrong with you if you haven't done anything with it after a few months, much less a few years. Some of us lost an adult child who did not live at home, and those who had a child who was single, they probably had an entire living place to go through, or maybe with a roommate, but, you know, they lived on their own, and if that's the case you probably don't have the choice as to how long you feel you need or want to wait. It really doesn't matter if you're ready or not. You have to go through everything and empty the place out. The utility issues, all of that, you just don't have a choice. You have to go through their things. If you're like me, Becca was married, so I had to rely on her husband to allow me to go through her things or even get permission to have anything which I will talk about more in a few minutes. A while back, I asked on our private GPS Hope Facebook page about going through our children's things and deciding what to keep and what to let go of. Now, Sarah unexpectedly lost her adult daughter with a heart attack. Jeanette was going through a divorce, and she had moved back home during that transition time. And here's what my friend Sarah had to say. At first, I gave away, sold, or donated a lot because there just wasn't space to keep it. Now, all these years later, I'm mostly fine with that. There are a few things I wish I would have kept, but it's okay. Every so often, I donate or toss out a few more things that have lost their significance over time. But there is also the desire to hold on to what's left, as if it's all I have left of her. That's not true at all, of course, because she'll always be with me in my heart and mind. Last week, I accidentally broke a vase that belonged to her. I sighed, knowing that over time, things will break, and it's just a thing. But I remember exactly when and where and why and how she got that vase, and that's why we hold on to things. And that was the end of what Sarah had to share. Now, I happen to know that Sarah turned her daughter Jeanette's room into an office. She is an author. And at first, she left a lot of things on the shelves and the walls around her. But I know she has taken some of those things down, making it more of her own office space and less of Jeanette's room. In case you're wondering, Sarah and her husband Dennis will be hitting their 10-year mark this coming February. Now, I'll share a few more comments with you from that Facebook post, but first I want to talk a little bit about my own personal experience. Now, like Sarah said, the vase was just a thing, and when Becca died, I did go through every room and closet in their house, and there were a few things I took, like family heirlooms or gifts that I gave Becca that my son-in-law would have no use for, and we were very close. We spent a lot of time together. 
we were free to come and go in each other's homes. And there were many times in their marriage that my son-in-law leaned on us more than his own family when things came up. Now, I also made a list of things as I went through the house that I would like to have. And if it was something he still wanted for himself, I mean, that was fine. I understood that. But I let him know these are things that I would like to have if he ever got rid of them. Now, he did not handle her death very well, and things between him and our family went downhill very quickly. A few months later, he decided to move, and instead of letting our family go through and have some of Becca's things, he rented a dumpster and got rid of just about everything they owned. Now, our family, we were hurt, we were devastated, we were angry, and one of my sons did some dumpster diving and recovered a few things of Becca's. And then a couple of years later, I got a call that my son-in-law was dropping some things off, and he left some blue bins on our front porch, which some of you have read about in one of my books, When Tragedy Strikes. Now, I appreciated this, but there were a few things that left me in tears, including a beautiful scrapbook that she had spent hours and hours making of their wedding photos. And I also found her wedding dress crumpled up at the bottom of one of the bins with all kinds of stuff piled on top of it, which left me a mess for several days. And my first thought was Becca's life has been reduced to these little blue plastic bins. But I immediately dismissed that, knowing that that just wasn't true. Whenever I think of something of Becca's that I wish I had, I do tell myself it's just stuff, but... We all know there are memories and meanings attached to that stuff, just like Sarah said about that vase. And it's not just their things either. It can be anything that attaches us to memories of that child, memories with that child. I had a Mini Cooper, and I used to take Becca back and forth to UW-Madison Hospital. I fit so much equipment in there, people couldn't believe it. I mean, her, her wheelchair went in there. One time, I even became her ambulance <laughs> to take her from our local hospital to Madison University Hospital. They needed her up there, but no one would transport her because of her specialized equipment for her heart. So... They actually had me pull my car, my Mini Cooper, right into the ambulance port, and I took pictures as I was driving in it because it was just so strange. They brought her out, they helped her in the car, and they sent us on our way. So many memories with Becca were attached to that car, and it was so hard to get rid of it because of that, and not just because it was a fun Mini Cooper, but the memories that were with it, with Becca, and sometimes I can still be in tears thinking about it. Now, let me share with you from a few others their experiences of maybe what they did with their child's things and being ready to part with some of it. Now, my friend Mitch, some of you know him or have heard of him. He's been on the podcast, and he's been around for many, many years helping bereaved parents. But he still had a lot of his son's things in a trunk. Now, his son Kelly died at the age of, it was either 9 or 10, and it took he and his wife 30 years for them to decide it was time to part with most of those things, just keeping a few things from that trunk that were his. Uh, a friend of mine, Kathy, her son died in a car accident, and there was you know, something going on that had been planned way before her son had his accident, and there were family that was supposed to be staying at their house, 
And it was one of those situations where, you know, when, when family comes over and you kick your kids out of their rooms, right? So family gets to stay in the kids' bedrooms and they stay on the couch or wherever. And so it was one of those situations where the family usually stayed in her son's room, but now her son was gone. And I don't have to explain to you, there was just something to have them stay in his room when he was no longer alive was just weird. And so she ended up going through the room and she even repainted the room. It was almost like, okay, this is no longer her son's room, Josh's room. And so she even repainted the room. And so the family stayed there and it did become a guest room. Now, she was kind of glad it ended up that way because it forced her to go through it and it was done. It wasn't something that was hanging over her that she was dreading doing for months and years to come. So that was just how it ended up with her. Uh, here are some of the responses from when I asked about this in our private Facebook group. Someone said, it took me four months. I did an hour once a week because I had to. We were preparing to move. I could not still live there. I currently have two boxes of his favorite things. Someone else said, it took me one year and only because we were preparing to move. I packed little by little. And then she says she and her husband packed up the very last of it on their very last day before moving. Now, I did notice that several perivers said that if they had to move, uh, that's why they were packing up their child's things, you know, it forced them to do it. A lot of them said they took pictures of that room before they started to pack it up. Someone else said, it's been two years. I have toys he got while in the hospital under a table unopened because I'm still not able to let go of them. Someone else said, it's been six years and our son's room is just the same as it was when he left that evening. Now, this mom lost two daughters when hit by a semi, and she says, I would not encourage anyone to rush this process if they don't have to. Their belongings were and are a gold mine for me when I just need to physically sift through their lives. Another mom says, I got up the strength on a snowy day in January to put her clothes in boxes. It was hard, but strangely comforting to be surrounded by her things, and I found some things I treasure. But after that, I just can't get the strength to do it again. I don't want to get rid of anything. I'm hopeless with this. It's getting harder to go in that room, not easier. Now, here's one. This mom's son did not live at home, and when his clothes were given to her, she said, I buried my head into each item of clothing, searching for him. I love how she said that because that's what we're doing, right? It's like we're searching for our child. We're searching for pieces, parts of our child that we're missing. Now, the last one I want to share with you, Deborah says, for some reason, I can't explain why I have kept all Nicole's medications in the fridge until this morning. I knew I wouldn't use those at any moment again, but I still could not get rid of them. There are so many memories attached to those, and at some point, they brought relief to the pain. They brought some sort of comfort to her suffering. I woke up this morning and made a decision to throw them away as hard as it could be. I don't have an explanation for why today, but I felt like I just had to do it, and I did it. 
crying and remembering all her suffering, all her pain, and all those moments I washed and rewashed the tubes, syringes, and how many times I connected them to her G-tube in her belly, remembering how many times I had to change and clean her tracheotomy, clean her wounds, how many times she was poked with needles, remembering how much crying and so many tears. Then I did it. I emptied them one by one. I threw the bottles in the trash. It was extremely hard, but full of peace. We all hugged, and Nathan, my son, asked if he could tickle me so I could smile again. I will remember today as a milestone. I will remember today as the day when God is my comforter. Jesus is the one who cares most about how I feel. He is the one who restores my soul. He is the one who heals my wounds until I see her again. And that ends this quote from Deborah. This is what I pray for you, that like Deborah, you will allow God to restore your soul and heal your wounds in a way that when it is time, and only you know when that is, to go through your child's things, it will be in a way that brings peace that goes beyond understanding within the pain. I mentioned one of my books, When Tragedy Strikes, Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. Now, this book is pretty much the raw account of my journey from my place of deep darkness after Becca died back into light and life. And it gives a a hand of hope to those who are traveling on the path behind me who also need to rebuild their lives. Now, as I started writing this book, it turned into like rebuilding a house. So I found that rebuilding our lives is like rebuilding a house. And so some of the chapters are things like the bedroom of rest, the kitchen of usefulness, looking out the window of fear, sitting on the porch of your identity, putting on the roof of hope. There's a chapter written by Dave, my husband, called The Support Beam. And so if you are interested in that book or finding out more about it, I will put a link to it in the show notes where you can read more about it. And I'll also put an Amazon link and you can go straight there and order it. Let's go ahead to this week's birthdays. Shannon Shelby was born on October 28th and she is forever 43. Dawson Morris was born on October 29th and is forever 19. Denise Vaughn was born on October 29th and is forever 30. Mary Elizabeth Engelbert was born on October 30th and is forever 21. Little James was born on October 30th and is forever 17 months old. Ikiaika Ewer was born on November 1st, and he is forever six years old. Cheney Patrick was born on November 4th and is forever 20. Sophie Gertzen was born on November 4th and is forever 17. We celebrate the day these children came into the world. We know it will always be a very special and important day in the lives of these families. 
If you would like to have your child's birthday announced the week of his or her birthday, I would love to be able to do that for you and share your child with the other listeners. All you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. Fill out that form there, including the pronunciation of your child's name, first name, last name, if it sometimes gets mispronounced, because I do want to say it correctly for you. Just submit that information, and we will add your child to the birthday segment the week of his or her birthday. At first, all these things that belong to our child, when we see them, when we touch them, it's going to feel like a stabbing pain. But let me tell you, it won't always be like that. As you heard from several others that I shared from today, at some point you will be ready to go through these things and you'll know when it's the right time for you and you'll probably just find yourself doing it. Psalm 84 verse 6 says, When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. At some point, You will find those same things that brought you pain are going to start to warm your heart with the memories instead of hurting, and they'll even put a smile on your face. And I know that may seem like it will never happen for you, but it comes at different times for each of us. It could be a few months. It could be many years. But if you open yourself up to the healing comfort of God in the Holy Spirit, it will come. No matter where you are in this journey concerning this issue, know that you're not alone and nothing is wrong with you if you're not ready to release any of their things, no matter how long it has been. Don't let those who've never lost a child pressure you either. For those of you who have gone through your child's things, feel free to share your thoughts with us on how long it took you, what that was like, in the comment section of the show notes on the GPS Hope webpage as an encouragement to others. And I can put a link to that in the show notes as well so that you can go directly there. Just scroll down to the page until you see where to put the comments. May you find that place of refreshing springs as we continue this unwanted journey together. So hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.